0: text is from Matthew 6, 9 through 13, so please follow along as I read the passage aloud for us. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's word. So Spurgeon famously stated that I would rather teach one person to pray than ten people to preach. And before I preach, I want to say that as the foundation this morning. Prayer is more powerful than parliament. You guys don't really know what parliament is, probably. <laughs> but it just works better and it's like British, so it gets like <laughs> nice enigma. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> prayer is more important in some sense, even than the political reality of the state or anything else that's happening. Prayer is a secret power, a secret weapon that surpasses all other heavenly weaponry of love. And so I'm going to start by praying. And I want this preach to be a prayer. So I'm just going to pray now for us. Lord God, forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sin against us. Lord, thank you that when we grow weary of forgiving, you raise up an enemy in our face so that we are shaped, challenged, poured out, and we become more like your son. Thank you, Lord, that you bring suffering and difficulty to us so that we can learn the divine art of forgiveness, so that we can enter into the Trinitarian life that never stops forgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. The famous novelist Evelyn Waugh, now I live in Oxford, UK, I've been there for nine years. Evelyn Waugh wrote Bride's Head Revisited, which is a very important film in the gay community. Um, and he went to Hartford College just down the road from my house and translated a famous French saying in his novel To comprendre, c'est tout pardonner. To understand all is to forgive all. Supremely in the person of Jesus and climaxing at his death on the cross and in the resurrection, we peer into God's very nature, which is to be the all-forgiving God. Supremely in the cross, God's perfect justice came together with God's extreme forgiveness. The very searing core of God's own self is revealed through the ultimate act of forgiveness, on the cross towards sinners. Jesus, hung there by our own injustice and sin, on a first century torture device, offers himself in our pra- place and he prayers, prays, "Praise, sorry, Father forgive them, for they know not what they do. When we come to the limit of our love as human beings, we know we get to this place where it seems impossible to forgive others, where we have a bitterness, where we have a pain within us that blocks us from being able to release a person from an offense against us, a prejudice against us. And we have a choice in that moment. We can choose to hold on to the bitterness, hold on to the pain, hold on to justice on our own terms, or to release grace. And what I want to talk about is that moment of impossible release, where, like, we as human beings do not have the resource to actually forgive. The well is dry. The deep subterranean psyche is completely bankrupt, and we cannot love. Jesus entered into that place of death and lovelessness on the cross and prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When I get slapped on the face by an extreme progressive activist or an extreme conservative activist, I have to sit there in that space where I don't have it anymore. And I have to admit it. And I have to say, Jesus, I can't do it. It's impossible. It's so painful. Help me and by the reality, the historical reality of the cross and resurrection, somehow the Holy Spirit comes and fills me and I can release the bitterness, I can release the offense. And I'm telling you, if I didn't have that internal wrestle going on every day, I would be dead meat. (laughs) And you know actually, the person that you first have to learn that with is yourself because you will have moments where you're so disappointed (laughs) with yourself, where you fail and you don't live up to your moral standard and you're a hypocrite and you know it and you can make the choice to pretend that you're fine or you can make the choice to face it and bring it to Jesus. And we live in a culture which is all about saving face. It's all about making the choice to say, my identity is this, I've constructed this and it can cover over all of my incapacity and my failure and my sin. But we as the church have a beautiful authenticity in forgiveness that we can release into culture. It's like a beautiful perfume. And people smell it and they know it and they're drawn to it and they want Jesus. And that might be you this morning. You might have never really understood forgiveness. You might never have really experienced what Jesus' forgiveness looks like. And you might say this morning, I want that. And Jesus offers that, but he doesn't just want to give us forgiveness and save us. He actually wants to make us like him. He actually wants to go deep into our hearts and find the places of bitterness that maybe we're not even aware of and pull out this bitter root which holds us back from knowing what God is like truly because so many of us are wrestling with the problem of evil and suffering we're saying why lord did you allow people say to be lgbtqi plus and then say in your word that's not the way how uh, uh, well god must not be good and he must not exist or it might be why is there so much injustice and so much evil and so much human failure how can i trust you And often at the base of that wrestle is a bitterness that God slowly works on. And so in my story, I had this moment when I was saved and Jesus forgave me of sin and he said, David, your sins are forgiven. And I had this radical encounter with God in a pub in central Sydney in 2009 that was prophesied by my uncle, which is in the book. And it was just, it was incredible. to experience that forgiveness. And I thought that was kind of it. I'm saved, and I had this joy, and I was giving my sushi rolls to homeless people, and I was like, really deep transformation, had happened. (laughs) And I thought, wow, that's great, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And that's Christianity. Little did I know what I was getting myself in for. (laughs) Jesus wants to make us like him. Jesus wants us to see the heart of the Father and to make us like the heart of the Father, to make his body, the church, the embodiment of forgiveness to the world. Even when the world is hateful towards the church, the church is called to turn the other cheek and love its enemy. And I didn't know in that enthusiastic, first saved, never seen the goodness of God moment, that what the challenges I would face. And by grace, I was sitting in a pew in the middle of worship, and the Holy Spirit came upon me in the middle of singing, I exalt thee, I exalt thee. I exalt thee, oh Lord. And the whole church was completely focused on Jesus, the heart of the Father. But there I was with this huge root of bitterness towards the church. It was enormous. And I used to yell out in sermons exactly like this and be, you can't say that that's misogynistic. No. Homophobic, uh-uh, racist, uh-uh. Everything's terrible. Like, why are there all these white people? And like, you know, you can imagine. <laughs> and um <laughs> and why is there like an Australian flag flying, that's nationalism, that's the idolatry of the nation? Oh my gosh, it's so terrible. And all these people like welcoming me with smiles. That's so fake. You know, and I'd get my aunt who is at church, and she like, squeeze my leg and be like, shut up. You know? <laughs> and finally, the pastor sees me, and I'm, like, clearly being touched by the Holy Spirit in the middle of this worship. He's like, yes, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and as it gets stronger and stronger and stronger, I start to smell this weird, like, soil sensation in my, like, spirit, Like, what is this? And I could feel, like, the Holy Spirit, like, tugging on my heart. Like, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. And in this moment, as I was was focused not on myself and my pain and holding onto it, but actually focused on the nature of Christ, a miracle happened. And Jesus came in and wrenched this root of bitterness and I had this vision of all these people across the face of the earth, backbiting and slandering and hating God and blaspheming God's name. And as I looked in the crowd, I saw myself. And it was honestly like hell. Like that's what hell is, when people haven't let go of their bitterness and it destroys them. It destroys their capacity to love and be holy as God is. And in that moment, Jesus delivered me, and it says in the scripture that the pure in heart will see God. Brother Lawrence says the most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That is, every moment to take great pleasure that God is with you. Prayer is like weakness leaning on omnipotence, W.S. Bowd says. Prayer moves beyond this intimacy into transformation, where we not only enjoy God, but we become like God. And in that moment, as I saw myself kind of backbiting, yelling with this deep, visceral bitterness in my heart towards the church, God removed it. God took it. And he put his spirit in in place, and I suddenly had this heavenly vision of Jesus over the earth. And you know what was so interesting was that Jesus wasn't judging those who were backbiting, those who were slandering. I didn't get a sense that Jesus was like, well, I'm wonderful, and they're all peasants. (laughs) No, Jesus had this incredible grace towards every single one of those people. And honestly, it blew my mind. Like we struggle to have forgiveness for the tiniest things that are so insignificant. Jesus has like the whole world wanting to set themselves up as his enemy. And he still loves them. He still forgives them. He still says, Father, they know not what they do. Forgive them. And in that moment, he did that to me And I saw him with his arm over his right shoulder and he said, my glory will come for them. And like the glory of God went around the whole earth and finally it hit me and I like yelled out in church and this bitterness was gone. And I felt like a newborn baby. (laughs) And I, and that's what I want for you this morning. I want you to know that again or for the first time. To be free from deep subterranean bitterness and unforgiveness that holds you back. Jesus says in Matthew, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So we have a choice, do we want to step into that economy of grace and be like God, image God to the world, or do we want to hold on to our bitterness? and then hold on to our incapacity to be forgiven from our own sins. I worked, albeit indirectly and mainly as an adjunct for a speaking ministry, and at its heart, there was a rotten and very cancerous core of profound evil and abusive leadership. And before I came to preach this message to you, I walked into a seminar at the University of Oxford And there was someone from that ministry who I knew had not done well in those circumstances and had actually colluded or kind of fudged the relationship with people that kind of went with that that narrative of the person that was abusive in the end and super evil. (laughs) And God said to me, are you willing to forgive him? Because you're going to go and preach to Reality San Francisco. You're going to mention your whole story, but like... Come on, David. Will you release him from his offense? It was so hard because of all the people, all my friends who had been crushed by people like him making a sinful decision, a prideful decision to go with what was easier. And in that moment, I just released him and I released the bitterness and I went up and I gave him a huge hug. And I said, it's good to see you. And that is the stuff of the gospel. That is the economy of the Trinitarian life. And we have to build that economy out of the wood of the cross, out of that moment where Jesus forgives, even though people are in the ignorance and failure of their own sin. St. Ignatius of Loyola says, there is no better wood for feeding the fire of God's love than the wood of the cross. The more you forgive, the more the Holy Spirit fire is fanned into flame within you. The more you will walk into crazy dark situations and you'll be like And the light will dawn and the sin will not be able to resist. That you become like Christ, you become a priest to all creation. You priests take the presence of God and then minister it into situations, and that's what you all are in Christ. You are priests of the living God. You are a royal priesthood, but you have to do it from the resources of Jesus, from his first, his initial act of forgiveness towards his enemies, towards us when we were in our sin and enemies of God. And so I think the first point is that Jesus' cross is the divine reality of forgiveness, and we we have to anchor ourselves first in that first point is that it's the objective, salvific, sanctifying work of Jesus on the cross that allows us to be able to do the impossible and to forgive some of the most profound evil and sin. So in Romans 4.4, 4, it says, Now to the one who works, wagers are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is as credited as righteousness. I love this, it's so amazing. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> and that by not doing anything, you're doing something which is receiving a free gift. In other words, the resources to forgive are already there. You just have to cede to them and say, okay, God, do it through me. I can't. I I don't have the capacity. And that, that gift of faith, which is credited as righteousness, for not working but for believing, will come to your aid to help you to forgive. And that's what happened to me in that pew. That's why that bitterness could be taken away, because my faith was active. The Trinitarian life was slowly edging into me and taking away all the lovelessness and effects of sin. And then it says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. You cannot forgive if you don't know your own forgiveness, your own state of being forgiven by Jesus. That is the foundation, the objective work of the cross. The second is the process and impossibility of forgiveness. Professor of philosophical theology, University of St. Andrews says, religious faith is not merely a way of making sense of the world, but also a way of acknowledging the nonsensicality of the world, neither to deny nor prematurely to resolve it. Of course, the painful tension between the frailty of life and its infinite value does and should propel action, alleviate suffering, to advance medicine, to stop injustice and violence, to act in love. But faith reminds us that action may staunch but will not heal the wound at the heart of existence because it will only be healed at the depth which we see through the glass darkly. What I wanna say today is that when we forgive and when that root of bitterness is removed from within us, we get new eyes to see. We get new eyes to see God as God really is and we can do more than just action or social justice can do. We can bring in a whole entire, a new world, a new creation and we can go right to the depth and see God as God really is, the beatific vision. And that's it's impossible to see that without forgiveness. There's no way. R.T. Kendall, a dear friend of mine, says in his book, Total Forgiveness, the ultimate proof of total forgiveness takes place when we sincerely petition the Father to those who have hurt us off the hook, even if they have hurt not only us, but also those close to us. Forgiveness is a process which sometimes by a miraculous grace of God can become total, but usually takes a long, prayerful, and painful journey of relinquishing the persons of the just recompense from their actions. Forgiveness does not mean we condone, agree, or even reestablish relationship with the person, but forgiveness means relinquishing the effects of sin back into God's hands. I love that. It doesn't always mean like we're going to have the miraculous grace straight away. Sometimes it's stepping in and saying, God, I'm here. I'm waiting on your grace to truly, totally forgive. And so R.T. Kendall has three types of forgiveness. Detached, limited, and full. He says, quote, detached forgiveness. There is no reduction in negative feelings towards the offender but no reconciliation takes place. And then there's limited forgiveness. There is a reduction in a negative feeling towards the offender, and the relationship is partially restored, though there is a decrease in the emotional intensity of the relationship. Finally, full forgiveness. There is a total cessation of the negative feelings towards the offender, and the relationship is fully restored. I don't think God is always calling us to total forgiveness. Sometimes, for some reason, we just can't get there even with his grace, even knowing his forgiveness, this is a mystery. Why is it sometimes we do detached forgiveness and not the total forgiveness? Well, I actually think sometimes detached forgiveness is enough. Sometimes we have gone through so many difficult things and all we can give is this tiny seed of faith and we can't really be in the presence of the person and it's like, it's too much. But we choose just to give that tiny mustard seed and God accepts that. And he might work it eventually into limited forgiveness. And maybe it'll be when we're raised from the dead that we'll get into the full forgiveness for something that was just so impossible to forgive. So by no means, and I'm saying this is easy, (laughs) this is a lifelong process and we might find ourselves at detached or limited or full. But the point is that we choose, because of his love, to forgive. It might not be the total deal, but it gets us to the place where if we see that person, we're not gonna hold the offense against them. So three, the final kind of point I wanna make is prayer is the pardoning presence of God in and through us. So prayer and forgiveness, prayer and pardon are kind of the same thing. We can't really pray unless we forgive those who've sinned against us, it's impossible. And in Proverbs 19:11, it says, "A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. It's our glory to overlook an offense. That is what we're called to do. That is the priestly task, to cover, to overlook, to pass an offense back to God and say, "Bring righteousness." Spurgeon says, "In our case, God often raises up an enemy to see if we really want to be like Jesus. Who knows that? Quick final story, (sighs) it's real, Uh, (laughs) it's like I'm doing so well and then I was like oh, why did they have to say that, (laughs) do you ever have the back chat with God, you know, it's okay to have back chat, we can give him the back chat, (laughs) it's good, (laughs) let it out. I was in Oxford and there was this trans activist who wrote this very ugly article about me that was totally like misrepresentation of my position, saying that like I'm oppressing people by being celibate, and all this really hard stuff. And I was like, that is not my position at all. You have like, like misquoted my book. And um, I felt a bit like Peter when he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Hebrews twelve fifteen. 15, see it, to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I had a choice again in that moment. Was I going to side with the Trinitarian grace of forgiveness or was I going to go with my resources and my pride and my sense of self-esteem, that I wanted to try to shore up and fight back against this trans activist. And I have a friend called N.T. Wright, who wrote the foreword for my book, and he's one of the world's top Bible scholars, this lovely British man. And he said, well, David, if you're going to write this book, you are going to have to have tea with your enemies. Which is like the biggest English understatement for like the gospel of forgiveness I've ever heard. That's lovely. Would you like Earl Grey? (laughs) Yes. We all know that the royal kind of accent was designed to mask emotion. (laughs) Anyway, America's kind of the opposite. Um, (laughs) And so I I was on the bike and the Lord said, forgive, forgive them. Forgive them, David, let it go. And I was like, forgive them write an email to them right now and say, I want to meet for coffee, tea. We sat in a Costa coffee shop, which is really bad compared to the coffee in San Francisco. (laughs) And we talked. And they were like, wow, you're totally different to what I thought you were. You're actually this human being. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And we just looked at each other and the dignity of our humanity was enough for them to decide to, like, let go their offence. And I let go of mine, and now I see them in the street, and we're not best friends, but we're like, okay, we're okay. And we can coexist together with political difference, and we can love one another as Christ loved us on the cross. At least, that's my policy. So Karen Swallow Pryor, she says, You are a wounded healer if you have scars of your own. Such ministry cannot prevent suffering, of course. Such is not possible in our fallen human condition. But it can, Henry Nouwen writes, Dave's favourite, prevent people from suffering for the wrong reasons. He explains, when we become aware that we do not have to escape our pains, but that we can mobilise them into a common search for life, Those very pains are transformed from expressions of despair into signs of hope. Church, you're called to do that sacred exchange with Jesus, to take your pains and mobilize them into a common search for life. So those very pains are transformed from expressions of despair into signs of hope. She continues, these words are a much-needed balm. They also offer a gentle, necessary challenge. The temptation amidst so many revelations of harm, especially within the context of the church, which is supposed to be a place of refuge, safety, and love, is retreat or denial or even counterattack. But to have compassion, literally to suffer with someone or forgive them, is the opposite of this temptation. To have compassion is to share someone's hurt. And actually, sometimes we're called to share the hurt of our enemy, to share the hurt of the offense that someone caused the offense against us. Often people who offend us, sin against us, wound us. There's a whole backstory we're not aware of. And forgiveness allows us to see their pain as well. A wound is both literally and metaphorically an opening I love that, she says that. It's an invitation to relationship. Pain, when we feel it, should be something where we say, I, I wanna enter into that relationship. It's like the opposite of what your, your kind of flesh wants to do. <laughs> Rather than seeing a wound as something that means, close up, like destroy relationship, get away from like, the stimulus. Actually, a wound is a place, if you can walk through the pain, where you can find deeper relationship again. To be open is to be vulnerable, and to be vulnerable with and for another is a gift. It is a kind of power, one that can be wielded in ways that further wound, or in ways that help heal. So we're called to make that decision, to take our pain and our bitterness that we might feel today, and not to further wound, but to help heal. So I just want to end with R.T. Kendall. He says, but how can I know that there is no bitterness left? I would reply, one, when there is no desire to get even or punish. Two, when I do or say nothing that would hurt their reputation or future. That's a hard one. Knowing like, you come along and it's like, oh, yeah, that person, oh, yeah, yeah, they're they're fine, yeah, yeah. Mm." Yeah, but that, yeah, cool. Mm, um, Sorry, what? Uh, Well, you know, they did this this one time and then actually they're a really terrible person. (laughs) (laughs) And then someone's view of them is like changed and that has huge repercussions. Actually, forgiveness is like, I'm not, nope, I'm not going to say that. Okay, I've forgiven that. I'm not going to hurt their reputation. It doesn't mean that you condone or you can't say, well, I did have a difficult experience with that person You know, but like you go ahead and there's like a choice there to keep the wounding going or to protect that person and say, actually, I'm not going to keep that cycle of violence going. And three, the final part, he says, when I truly wish them well in all they seek to do. Oh. Do you truly wish them well in all they seek to do? I find that's the hardest one. You know, with the trans activists, do I wish them well and everything they do? I think now I would actually say yes. But probably after meeting them, I wasn't ready to say that. And it's, it's, it's a journey, and so I think these are really good, like, just his book, Total Forgiveness, is really fantastic if you want to do more thinking about forgiveness in your own life. So I'm gonna finish there, um, and I'm just gonna ask a few questions for prayer time, and then I'll hand over I want to ask these questions. Is there a root of bitterness, which means you have resisted trust in God? Is there a place in you that's angry with God? I want to tell you, like, that's great. The anger is is often because something is really hard to trust God with, and today I want to encourage you to bring that anger to God in prayer, to let it out, and to allow the Holy Spirit to massage your way through that pain to a deeper encounter with God's love to see that God is good again. It doesn't resolve the mystery of why that thing happened, but to give God that root of bitterness. Do you have a root of bitterness in you as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit might be showing you that you would like to dispense of today in prayer? That You would like to forgive whether it's God, yourself, your neighbor or your enemy. It could be a bigger macro thing, like I had to forgive the church as a gay man for all of its terrible failures in meeting me. It could be that big today. It could be racism, it could be someone stole from you, it could be that someone abused you. It could be something really deep. And so I want this to be a time of tender like softness for those really big things of safety because God is safe to trust because he's forgiven us. So that's the second question. And would you like to bring that root to God so he can remove it and help you to forgive even the most impossible things? Can you trust God with justice and not take it into your own hands? Will you let the economy of grace take control or will you resist the Holy Spirit's ways? So there are questions I felt as I was writing that might speak to you this morning and I'm just going to hand over for response. Thank you so much for listening, and it's been a pleasure to to talk with you. Thanks.